My name is Hans. I get to serve as one of the pastors here, and it is a joy uh, to be here with you this morning and to go through the Word as we have it. We are in uh, Matthew chapter 6, the second chapter of what has historically been called the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is up on the mountain and his disciples have come to him, and he is instructing them. And in that, he's instructing us as well. For this week, really the next three, uh, we will be talking about prayer, the kind of intro comment on prayer that Jesus makes in regards to our righteousness. Then the Lord's Prayer is what we have usually called, more accurately, disciples' prayer, because he's teaching us how to pray. He's not praying that himself. When you pray, pray like this. And then there's actually a, an application that comes after it. <clears throat> that application regards not, um, not necessarily a prayer point. It hangs on the idea of forgiveness. And so when we say, forgive us our debts or our trespasses or our sins, what language you might use there for, as we forgive those who, then at the end, after he's done with his instruction on prayer, he actually comments further on forgiveness. Uh, and you can see that flow that moves from God to us, right? With the right view of God, we should have a right view of others. And that's kind of how that, this section goes. So three weeks in the concept of prayer, the ideas around prayer. The passage this morning is two verses, Matthew 6, 5 and 6. It goes like this. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Let's pray. Father, guide us today in your word. As we hear Jesus instruct, we want to hear these things, and we pray it in his name. Amen. Now, remember, chapter 5 shows us the fuller extent of the law. That it's, he said, Jesus said, I came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it, but to fulfill it. And then he goes through these law statements of, you have heard it was said, but I say, you've heard it was said, but I say. And in all of these, he's more broadly explaining the heart of the law. Not just explaining the letter of the law, which is often how we work or how our kids work. We're like, well, you said. And Jesus is going, now you've heard it said, but I'm going I'm to expand that so you understand the heart of it. And he's doing the same in chapter 6, but he's comparing righteous behavior, righteous action. And he's talking about hypocritical action, and he's talking about honest action. So... In chapter 6, with these illustrations, as my kids would say, Jesus is trying to teach us not to be show-off, which is a word that exists in our house. You're being show-off-y. Um, so Jesus is trying to say, don't show off. You're not trying to show off anything. You don't have anything to show off. Everything that you do, you, you do for your Father who sees you. You don't do it for those others who see you. And instead, you approach God, your Father, humbly and gently and quietly and secretly where you, you can't be rewarded by those around you. And in that is great power. So 
an oft-neglected aspect of our disciple-making, both in how people have invested in us and how we invest in others, is prayer. Very infrequently has anybody helped us understand prayer, nor, nor do we really have an idea of it, even though Jesus instructs us. Jesus actually said, this is what prayer is. Pray like this. And he gives us words in that prayer coming after this passage. And we still go, well, yeah, but I don't really do that. Right? So like, why is Jesus teaching us to pray if we're not going to take him seriously? <laughs> and it, it is something that many of us have issue with. Not, not issue with Jesus, but we just, we, when it comes to prayer, we're like, what do I say? And I don't want to say the wrong things, and I don't want to pray selfishly, but I, I also, you know, I want to pray accurately, but, but doesn't God already know? Because Jesus says he already knows, so if he already knows, why do I need to say it anyways? You know, it's like, well, you already know I love you, so I'm not going to say it. Why that? And isn't God sovereign? Isn't he powerful? Isn't God going to do what he wants? So if he's going to do what he wants, why do I need to pray? And so we kind of talk ourselves out of praying. And then if we do pray, we get a little nervous that we're going to do it wrong. And uh, we saw in, when we went through the book of James, that James would actually help his audience. Sometimes when you pray, you pray with the wrong motive, the wrong attitude, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. And so there are times where our prayers go unanswered because we are selfish. So for the next few weeks, I, I pray and hope that we can understand both motivation for praying and we can understand how more to pray, the language that we can give to prayer, and that we can then understand what prayer does for us. Just like last week, uh, Jesus is doing some specific things and he's giving us a negative example, a positive example. So don't be like this, be like this, right? So he does that. Good teachers can do that. Where they say, well, don't just tell me what not to do. That doesn't help me. Tell, me. tell me what to do. Hey, don't do that. Okay, well, what do I do? Because now I've created a vacuum. So instead of being like this, be like this. And this is the first thing that it'll say that language, I look for parallel language and kind of how I make these statements, but this is it. That hypocrites pray to be heard by men. Hypocrites pray to be heard by men. Matthew 6, 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrite. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners that they may be seen by others. That's the motivation. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Well, first, what's a hypocrite? Because we call lots of things hypocrisy, don't we? You're being a hypocrite. Being a hypocrite. Sometimes you just changed your mind. Uh, parents know that well. And I'm actually not a hypocrite. I just changed my mind. I thought it was a good idea. Now I don't. Um, so just being honest with you. We like to call people hypocrites, and we often do that a lot because we just assume that we all know what it means. But a hypocrite really is it's a play actor. Somebody who's not trying, uh, has no actually being who they are. Let me take that handheld, Derek. I'll go ahead and do it. Um, so no desire for honesty, real take on that. We'll figure it out, we'll figure it out, but I'll just go with this for now. So hypocrites pray to be heard by men, and what we mean, these are play actors. They're playing a part, they're acting a part. 
but they actually have no desire or intent to live the part out. Uh, this is different than if you say you're going to exercise Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and one week you exercise Monday, Thursday, and Friday. Like, you're like, well, wait, 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 you said, you hypocrite. And we get mad at people because they changed something. That's not the point. Because the hypocrite is the one who has no desire to do the thing in the first place. They're just doing it for a certain reason, with no heart to do it in a way that honors the Lord. It's someone whose mind is made up, and they're acting in a specific way as a shell of what they're intending to be. That is the hypocrite that Jesus is speaking to, the one who is praying and standing loudly in the synagogues and on the street corners that they may be heard by others. And we might hear that and go, well, yeah, but who would do that? That's a silly thing. I don't like to pray in public at all. I don't like to pray in community group. I don't like to pray in D group. I don't want anybody to ever hear me pray, so I don't have that problem. But it's interesting because there's a, there's a seduction in being seen by others. And that is a warning for us. You might not be a, a hypocrite, but the seduction of being heard by others and seen by others and presenting yourself better than you actually are so that others have a certain respect or admiration for you, that, that temptation resides within us to be a certain person or to look a certain way, to have a certain level of maturity that people will uh, look at and respect and, and go, oh, oh my gosh, have you heard how they pray or have you heard how they talk or have you heard what they do? They, they have such a, such a way of praying that you know God hears them. And you may go, well, actually, you might just be attempting to be heard by men. Uh, one thing that I, I do at times when I'm sermon prepping is I crowdsource. Uh, I don't crowdsource, like, interpretation, but I'll go, hey, how do you see this work out? Or what are ways that you see this happen? And um, just ask my friends around, largely who are responsive, and just say, what do you think about this? How do you think that, that, that there's a temptation to pray to be heard by others? Because I don't see many of you praying on street corners. Not, not generally the, the thing that I see. I don't, I don't see many of you. I'm going to drive by and I'm like, oh, hey, you know, there's, there's Matt just praying on the street corner to be seen by others. Like, that's not something that I, I usually see. That's not something that I think any of us see or try to do. Uh, so here are some examples of the idea of being seen by others. I uh, shared this one last week a little bit, but when our prayer feels more like information for those around us than actually talking to the Lord, if we're in prayer with people, or we're in community group, or we're, we're sitting around and we're praying, and, and, and it's like the person who says, God, I thank you that I'm not like this person, this sinner over here from Luke 18, like, God, thank you that you haven't made me like that, thank you that I'm righteous, thank you that you've saved me from these things, thank you that I'm not like that person, thank you that I'm not like this person, or we say, God, I pray for Luke, the man I met today at Whole Foods buying bananas, and he needs you, and we were able to have a good conversation, and everything went really well, and I just pray that you could save him, God, and I'm like, wait a minute, like, are you telling me this? Like, did I need to know that Luke was buying bananas at Whole Foods when you met him? Or is that just like, because sometimes our prayer is to inform those around us of what we've done. And you go, well, for whom is this? For whom is this? 
Uh, another example of what could be a prayer to be heard by others, and I say could be because this is a heart issue and I can't always tell the heart, not always the greatest heart diagnoser, diagnostician, whatever the right word is. Uh, when we pray to communicate a, or, or communicate about our prayers or our prayer gatherings socially, so when we post our prayer list on social media or we talk about the things that we're praying for and we say these things, I think there is a caution there of why are, you, why are you praying in such a way that you're broadcasting to the world what, what you're praying for? The reason I say there's caution is because I'll tell you guys, I'll pull you aside and say, this is what I'm praying for, or how can I pray for you, and you'll share that with me. I have no problem sharing the things I'm praying for for you, or praying for for our church, or praying for personally. Uh, but there are times when it feels like we're trying to tell the world that we're praying, and we don't really need to. And we feel like we have this role from God to be a social disruptor on the concepts of prayer and that we're really just really fighting for something when we're not. We're trying to gain followers and we're trying to gain people interested in what we're doing and we're trying to say, hey, look at me and look at all the, the, the noise that I'm making and look at all these people who want to show up to my worship gathering or look at all the people who are out here to fight for our rights. And I just go, who are you talking to? Is that really, is that really for, for the Lord? Because everything you're doing seems to be for me, for me to know, for me to retweet, for me to like, for me to follow, for me to comment on. And if, if we do that, then maybe our interest isn't to be seen by people and not to be heard by the Lord. Another, and again, another that could be a way we're trying to be seen by and rewarded by people. It's when our prayers get incredibly intense or loud or full of jargon. And I'll explain why in a second. Uh, because even as you see next week, when Jesus says, don't pray like the Gentiles who babble on and on and on in hopes that they'll be heard for their many words, sometimes we do that. We, we pray in such a way that tries to demonstrate our maturity or our intensity or our seriousness about something. And it might be that we're trying to put on a show for others. Now, there are moments throughout Scripture where people cry out to God, where they say, or they're, they're pleading and begging and, and seeking Him. There are other times, I think, in our hearts where we're just trying to flex our muscles. We've learned a new word and we're trying to use it in a prayer or a new concept. We're trying to, we're trying to bring it in. And here's something that, that grieves me about that. And I'll explain why. Because we're supposed to be disciple makers and helpers and investing in others. Is that we pray in such a way that our children or people around us go, I can't pray like that. I'm not that serious. I don't have that kind of intensity. I don't have that kind of, that kind of power. I don't have that kind of vigor. My voice can't get that loud. I can't get that passionate. I'm not sweating when I'm done. Like, how, how, how do you ever expect me to be that? And we may not even know what we're doing, but we're erroneously creating this like, well, there's a, there's a holy and pious way to pray, and then there's every other way. There's a strong, heartfelt way to pray, and then there's your way, which is simple, short words, short sentences. I mean, again, we'll talk more about the babbling next week, um, but 
I think when it comes to prayer, because Jesus does this for us, is that our language should be more childlike than PhD level. That it needs to communicate more simplicity than complexity. And we don't need to impress with our language or our words. Because first, we're not praying for one another. And second, the Lord knows what we need. And again, that moves to next week. Another way that we pray to be heard by others or to gain the thanks of others is when we tell people we'll pray for them, but we actually have no intent to. We have no system of remembering what, what we would pray for. We, oh, I'll pray for that, I'll pray for that, I'll pray for that. And then we see them again, they go, thanks for praying. And you're like, I didn't do that. I didn't do any, I didn't pray for you. I wasn't concerned about you. And so we might run around and go, I'll pray for that, I'll pray for that, I'll pray for that. Um, and this is like the person uh, in James 2. Right, is it James 2? Sorry, we're talking about prayer though. And uh, he goes, suppose one of you sees somebody and you say, oh, hey, uh, be warm and well-fed. Just go on your way. I'll pray for you, brother. Sorry to see you that way. It's going to send them on their way, but not actually interested in who they are. So again, not saying that these are, sometimes you say you'll pray for somebody and you honestly just forget. I get it, right? There's only one who doesn't forget. Other times you've just kind of created a way to say it. You've created language that makes you look serious when you're not. Look interested when you're not. Look caring when you have no idea to. And that's the idea that Jesus means when he says hypocrites. So hypocrites pray. Hypocrites pray to be heard or seen by people. But then there's the contrast, isn't there? Jesus says don't pray like the hypocrites because they want to pray in public and they want to be seen he talks to his disciples, and he would say like this, the disciples pray to be heard by God. That's their interest. That's, that's what they care about, praying to be heard by God. Verse 6, but when you pray, so he's talking about how he, you're not hypocrites, that you're my followers. When you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, this is a curious phrase for us because, you know, how do you pray like this? I mean, our services have public prayer. We pray. Pray when the, after the reading of the passage, Matt prays, we'll open in prayer, we'll close in prayer, we pray at communion, like, like, so we should just never pray together or pray publicly or pray in our community groups. And the Old and New Testaments have examples of public prayer. In the book of James, it says, if you're sick, call the elders of the church to anoint you with oil and pray for you. And so, are we just supposed to walk around acting like we never pray because we don't want others to know we pray? Which is how, if you're just kind of reading this, you go, yeah, maybe Jesus just wants us to always just pray in secret and never have anybody know. And I don't think that's the case. Because remember what the emphasis of the Sermon on the Mount is about? The Sermon on the Mount is about, like the little cadence. It's about what's going on here. It's about what you're focused on and what you're interested in and the things you're spending time thinking about, praying for, and interested in, the way that you're trying to live. And are you trying to live to be seen by others? Or are you trying to say, oh, I'm 
good because I follow these rules, or I'm good because I've done these things, and I haven't done those things, or I'm like this, and I'm not like that. All of those exist here in us. But the goal of our prayer life is to engage with God our Father. In fact, when Jesus instructs in prayer, next week when we go through it, he starts with, but when you pray, pray like this, our Father. Our Father. So the goal of prayer is to engage with our Heavenly Father and to align, really align our will to His, not His will to ours, uh, that in prayer we're constantly submitting and surrendering ourselves to Him and His rule and His ways. And so the heart is to engage with God and not the outside world. Now remember, Jesus is giving instruction on praying in secret because if our heart is prone, if our flesh is prone to try and gain attention, Jesus is saying, go to the places where you will get no attention other than that from your Heavenly Father. Go to the places where you'll never be seen. Go to the places where you can't be praised by others where you won't be praised by others, that you're praying in secret. And in fact, I might even say to you this morning, is that I'm going to say your, your, your private prayer life, and I don't mean that because you don't share what you pray for, or that you don't talk about ways to pray or encourage one another in prayer, but that is going to actually demonstrate the strength of your public with your other believers' prayer life. Is that strength is not gained in public accolades or even in those public moments, but strength is gained when you can pray to your Heavenly Father who is in secret and not fall asleep like the disciples did in Gethsemane, right? Where he goes, let's pray, you stay here, and he comes back, and they were conked out. Well, they had just eaten a long meal and had some wine, and so it might make sense, humanly speaking, why those disciples had fallen asleep, but that's the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. In those moments where we cry out to God and He's the only one who hears us. That's where much of our endurance in the Lord comes from. And our engagement with the Lord comes from. And so again, it's heart. It's not do you have a prayer closet at your house or do you have a space where no one else can find you because that would demand that we have certain structures that exist. And if you don't have it, you can't do it. And Jesus isn't instructing in such a way to do that, is he? He's not instructing to go, well, you better, when you build your new house, you better be sure there's a prayer closet or else you can't obey Matthew 6. That's not his point. He's looking at, how do you pray? To be praised by others? Oh, brother, I just thought that prayer was just so eloquent and so, it was just so wordy and so powerful because of, all the big words you used, and all the, all the things you said, and, and how loud you were when you said it. That really was, it just had a lot of power. I'm like, are you sure? Because I can talk like this, and you guys might think I have power, right? Bella looked up. I can raise my voice. That doesn't tell you what's going on in my heart. But what do we read? Man looks at the outer appearance, and God looks at the heart. So the submissive, quiet prayer gets no cred because they can't draw attention to themselves. But it's not really that they can, it's that they won't. 
their desire isn't to draw attention to themselves because their Lord, their Lord is the one they're praying for. Now let's look at the life of Jesus to realize that he has shown us this. He's shown us this way of praying. The words won't be behind me. I'm just going to read them to you. After feeding 5,000 men in Matthew 14, we read in verses 22 and 23 this. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain to, by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. We read and talked about in Gethsemane. Jesus went there with them to a place, Matthew 26, 36, called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. In the Gospel of Mark, after a busy day of ministry, in Mark 1, 35, we read, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. In Luke chapter 5, as Jesus' popularity is growing, Luke writes, But now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. He would withdraw to desolate places and pray. When people wanted to get near him, he would leave and pray. Regarding the disciples, Luke writes in chapter 6, In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. This was before he selected his disciples. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them the twelve who he had named apostles. Jesus is committed to a quiet engagement with his heavenly Father, away from people, away from accolades, away from even us always knowing what he prays. People would be interested in what's going on, and he would leave, go pray. In fact, in Mark 1, where he leaves early in the morning while it was still dark to pray, his disciples come to him afterwards, and they say, everybody's looking for you. And he says, let's go over here to a new town. Jesus was not interested in the praise of man. He was interested in honoring his heavenly Father, and he would do this in his prayers. And so Jesus is instructing in the very thing that he does, which is to engage with his heavenly Father in regular, and you might even say isolated ways. Passages use the word desolate. With no one around and nothing around. Him and his heavenly Father. He wasn't praying to be seen. He wasn't praying to be praised. The disciples weren't like, oh man, Jesus, when you said that, when you used those words, the Spirit was just all over it. He was often by himself with his Father. And I would say there's great power in secret prayer the quiet room, the quiet place, because it connects us to God uniquely. It focuses on us, on what is most important, and gives us no accolades in this earthly life, and it strengthens us. Now, the things that we do, the things that we say, the themes in prayer, that's what Jesus instructs in in next week's passage, the Lord's Prayer, the disciples' prayer, when you pray, pray like. But he says the heart of prayer, which is to engage with God and to be Rewarded by God, not to be rewarded by man, 
The reward of praying to your Heavenly Father is that your Heavenly Father hears you. He hears you. That you're not seeking reward from man. You're not seeking their praise or them liking you or, hey, could you please come to our prayer meeting or could you please come and lead a prayer in this thing? We're having a prayer gathering and we need you to say something because you pray so well. What are some of the things that we might pray for? I say you pray for the things you'd like to see God do, but you also ask God to align your heart to His. Your heart to His. All of us in this room, every single person who has prayed has likely prayed selfishly. It's something you want to see happen. But if it actually is submitted to your Heavenly Father, then your concern is not whether or not your thing comes to pass, but that your surrendered heart listens to your Heavenly Father. You remember Jesus in Gethsemane? We have his prayer recorded. Father, I would long for this cup to pass before me, pass over me, but yet not my will, but yours be done. I don't want to have to go down this road if I don't have to go down this road. Right? So that's, that's a desire, but yet, not my will, but yours. I had a long conversation with my buddy, well, this is years back, and we went to that passage round and round and round, and we just, we got to this, like, impasse. I said, man, like, I have no problem with you praying for things that you want. He goes, I just think it's better just to pray that God's will be done. I'm like, well, Jesus did that too, but he also had a, it, he had a desire that, that he, he longed for, but the greater desire was the will of his Father. So, so don't, don't be afraid to pray for something. Be afraid to pray for something that if you don't get it, you think God didn't hear you. That, that God must have been wrong. That's, that's the greater problem, because then you, then you start to think, I know what is best. I know what is most important. I know what God really should have done in this situation. And his silence was a mistake. That's when we get into trouble. Because at that point in time, we're no longer surrendered. Our expectation is that God does what I want. That he's my prayer genie. And that if I just offer it up, he should do it. Or, as we'll read next week, if I just say it enough, and loudly enough, and and babble long and long and long and longer and longer and longer, in hopes that I be heard from my many words, then he'll do it. But that's not submissive to him. If you are submissive to him, then even a, even a selfish prayer or an imperfect prayer will be corrected by your loving and gracious Heavenly Father. He'll show it to you. He'll reveal to you that, that you're being selfish. If you're really going to your Father in secret and you're bringing your heart before him, you don't have to be perfect. The people who get afraid that they don't pray perfectly or don't say the right things or don't have the right language and they, I can't pray like the pastors at my church or I can't pray like these people or the, who've been walking with the Lord forever. I'm like, you don't need to be like that. The Lord hears you. He hears you. And so instead, we who follow Jesus, who have trusted in his work for us, who have said, Father... Not my way, your way. Jesus died for me. I don't need to live, live for me. 
I live for you. Those people who have trusted in Jesus, who have seen his work, who have recognized even he prayed this way. We need to pray like a disciple. A disciple is someone who, who speaks to God to be heard by God, to engage with God. It's someone who's not concerned about attention on themselves and rather intentionally limit the attention that they themselves might get. They limit it. They pray in secret. They don't let you know what all the things they might even be praying for. They engage with God, their Heavenly Father. And someone who prays for the benefit of others. When I'm praying for what's going on with you, it's amazing. I can't pray for what's going on with me. I have to be interested in you, and I have to be interested in what's going on, and I have to ask you and talk to you and pray for you. And so, so I pray for you. We pray for one another as a church. We ask what's going on because our prayers don't just need to be loaded up with things that we'd like to see done, but that my interest is in you. And you pray as one who recognizes God's reward, that he hears you, and he responds to you. He responds to you. Prayer reveals a lot about our hearts and our motives. It forces us to come to grips with how we live and what we expect. It reveals where in life we really need God to demonstrate His power. I'll say this to my kids. If they don't like a decision I've made, which shockingly happens a bit in our house, they don't like something I've done or something we've talked about or what might be, I'll just tell them, you know what? You should pray to God about that. Pray that God changes my heart if I'm wrong. You don't need to argue with me. The one who needs to change me is my Lord. And so if you really do believe that I've made the wrong decision, then pray for me. Don't just yell at me. Pray for me. When you read the Scriptures, and you see the, the world God longs for and the way He speaks of how we are to live and how we are to serve and what He cares about and what He's interested in, those can then go right back up to Him as prayers when we realize that we've fallen short or that we have that same need. We hear it and we read it and then we pray over it and we go, God, how do I, how do, I do this better? I would bet for many of us who call Genesis their church home that our heart for prayer and maybe even our motives in prayer are a little underdeveloped. It's something uh, that people who have specifically reformed soteriology seem to have. It's just God. God does what he wants. And we kind of didn't just go, well, so God's going to do what he wants. And so we talk ourselves out of praying. And we talk ourselves out of asking. We talk ourselves out of engagement. And then we just kind of walk around like theological robots. Unable to engage God because we don't have language for it because we've already just gone, well, he's just going to do whatever anyways. There's a reason that some people have the joking phrase of those with Reformed soteriology that they are the frozen chosen because that's sometimes how we act. 
like God isn't real. Like we're just puppets in this show, and he's going to do what he wants, and so it doesn't really matter that you engage him. Like if that's true, then Jesus spent a good amount of time here in Matthew 6 teaching us how to pray. Not only that, but he spent a lot of his own time praying. Never once did he say, you don't need to really worry about praying because God's going to do what he wants. You don't need to worry about it. No, instead, the Gospels show us. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John records the whole high priestly prayer of Jesus. All the things that he's praying for before he dies. All the things that he wants to see happen. All the things that he's asking of his Heavenly Father. He shows us these things. All the Gospels show Jesus as somebody who is committed to prayer. If we are not committed to prayer, it is not Jesus' fault. Because he didn't show us, or live it, or instruct us. It is not because Jesus was missing out. If only he would have said it like this. No, he instructed, he showed, he modeled, he taught. It reveals us. If you're joining us in our reading plan, which it's more passages, I get it. We're almost like halfway through Job already. If you're joining us in our reading plan this year, I want to I maybe help you. If you, don't, if you just go, I don't know the language. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. I can't, I can't fill a prayer with enough things. I'd love to pray more or longer or more aligned with God, but I just don't know how then I would just encourage you to take the things that you read or our memory verses and just start praying about the things there. For example, the memory verse for this week, Psalm 1-2. Psalm 1-2. Heading into this week. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. One statement, one memory verse. And if you were just to take this verse and begin to look at it and use this language to talk to your Heavenly Father, things that jump out to me, but His delight is in the law of the Lord, I might go, God, I don't know if I delight in your law. Do I delight in it? Now this comes right after verse 1 where He says, Blessed is the one who walks not, stands not, sits in the seat of scoffers, but... And so it's, blessed is the one who does not take counsel from evil, but instead delights in the law of the Lord. And you go, I, I think, Lord, I might have just spent too much time delighting in what I see in cable news or in what I read in social media or in the things that are coming across my, my screen and my ears and my eyes. I think I actually, if we're talking about delight, I think I spend too much time there. And I don't, I don't delight in your law. I don't long for it. If the Lord reveals that to you, then you go, God, could you forgive me for that? Forgive me that that's not my delight. Forgive me that that I don't long to know you better. That I I don't engage with you like like I could or should. Forgive me for that, God. I know you forgive, but I need to say it. And you read, on his law, he meditates day and night. And you go, man, I don't know. Lord, I, I... I don't meditate on your law. I don't think about it. 
honestly, maybe, maybe I'm not interested in it. Or maybe, it just got, maybe I haven't thought about, uh, about how to meditate on that, how to think about it. I don't read it. I don't discuss it. It doesn't stay in me. And so in those moments, you go, God, could you, could you show me ways to meditate on your word day and night? And, and maybe, God, even just give me people in my, in my life. Give me people in my life, Lord, who, who could teach me how to do this better. Give me mentors and people interested in, in helping me pray more so that I could, I could do this with more zeal and, and focused on the things that you want. Maybe I've, been, maybe I've meandered, God because I've been more interested only in my needs and not the things that you have revealed to be true. So if you, if you, don't, if you lack language, I would encourage you to say, let the scriptures be your language. Let them be your language as you, as you learn and, and walk and read and memorize. It's just let them be your language. And if it, if it then sends you into some rabbit trail that you've deviated down because your mind has continued to move toward a friend or a neighbor, then do that too. So pray, go, Lord, again, could you be family interested in your law? Could you do this in our church? And you can pray as you walk. You can pray quietly in your room. You can pray in your car before you start your work day or before you go into the grocery store. It's not bound to a physical, quiet room in your house. Because you could honestly just as boldly tell all your friends about your awesome prayer room. Hey, come over and check out my prayer closet where I pray all the time. Oh, you're awesome, brother. Well, what did we just do? We just did the same thing. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray secretly and then put a picture of my new prayer closet on Facebook. I don't think you understand what Jesus meant. He wasn't like build a prayer closet then tell all your friends. Pray. Pray as one who longs to be heard by God and not praised by man. Redeem the quiet moments for prayer and seek to create more of them. Create more of them. The hope for us as a church is that we can grow as a prayer-saturated people. The world might not know that we have become a prayer-saturated people, but I believe they would be affected by it. question that sometimes gets asked to people talking about prayer is, what would happen in the world if like your top five prayers were immediately answered? What would be different? It's often much more of like a Bruce Almighty. Win the lottery, right? This happens to me, that happens to me, I can dunk a basketball, like all the stuff that starts to show up. If it's your top five, God goes, granted. What would change if those prayers were answered? When we pray as disciples, our aim is to commune with a gracious God. And Jesus has both provided the way to do this in his death and his burial and his resurrection and his life for us. And he's shown us how to do this. 
He's taught us and shown us how to do this. Because He is our Lord and He does not want to leave us confused. And so remember, He talks about heart this week. Next week, He actually gives content. Things to pray for. Things to say. And then He talks about an application that comes from those things to pray, which is living as a forgiven person and being a forgiven person. Because prayer does, right? It should change things. And as we're praying for our forgiveness and recognizing God's forgiveness in Christ and His provision for us, then what happens? Well, we can't, we can't act like we're running around forgiven if all we are is harboring bitterness towards everybody. And so Jesus teaches us that as we even recognize God and what He's done for us, that that then moves into the ways that we interact with others.